All right, well, we've been making our way through the book of Luke here on Sunday morning. We made our way into the 11th chapter, where we find Jesus making his way to Jerusalem uh, just prior to his crucifixion. And as he is making his way to Jerusalem in Luke 11, he is being challenged by the religious leaders as they continuously try to capitalize upon different encounters and different events and continuously try to discredit Jesus before the people, uh, trying to demonstrate that he is not their anticipated Messiah, that they have not approved of him. And yet Jesus continues to confine, uh, confound them uh, one step after another, and this time we find that he uh, releases someone from the possession of a demon, and they therefore accuse him, and we looked at all of this last Sunday, accuse him of doing that uh, through the power of Satan himself, and therefore discrediting that he is not working on God the Father's behalf, but actually on Satan's behalf to try to lead and deceive the people. That account is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew and also in the Gospel of Mark, along with Luke chapter 11. And Matthew and Mark, they add a statement that Jesus made at the end of that encounter that I want to look at this morning together with you, if we may. It has to do with the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin that is known as the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at that together to answer any questions that you may have concerning it, but also to warn us about the, uh, the, uh, the possibilities of repeating what Jesus had clearly shown and demonstrated was a sin that could not be forgiven. So if you will, let's turn in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. And I want to read verses 28 to 30 with you. And of course, you can also parallel that with Matthew 12, is Matthew's account of this same occurrence. But let's read these words together. Truly, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, all sin will be forgiven the children of man, but whatever blasphemy and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. I think some of my greatest uh, times of preparation before becoming a pastor weren't so much as sitting at some of the uh, feet of the teachers in which I had uh, had the blessing of doing, but when I taught Sunday school, I think I learned almost everything that I rely upon each and every Sunday as a pastor. You know, I was, I was once told that if you can teach the kids, you can teach anybody. And one of the kids, when I was teaching Sunday school, she, uh, she, well, he, I should say, raised his hand 
And he said, you know, teacher, is there any sin that God cannot forgive? And I said, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart at that point. He says, boy, I've got a real opportunity to capitalize upon here. Well, what sin is that? Well, I'll tell you if you do it. But if I do it, then I won't go to heaven. That's correct. So you better make sure you don't do anything wrong. I had one of the greatest, quietest classes that particular Sunday. But they were shocked to discover that there is a sin that cannot be forgiven. There's only one. Jesus calls it an eternal sin. It is a sin that seals the fate of the individual. It is a a sin that Jesus Christ, God himself, cannot forgive. So the question that all of us should be asking ourselves now, well, what is that sin? And, oh my, have I committed it? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit appears to be indicating not an individual event, but an attitude of a person's heart. An attitude of a person's heart towards the realization of who Jesus Christ really is and therefore denying that realization. It's being given all the evidence needed to come to a correct conclusion and denying all of that evidence. Resisting the impact of that evidence. Foregoing the natural conclusion that that evidence would lead you to and resisting the acceptance of the true identity of Jesus Christ. I believe that what Jesus was referring to here was that as the religious leaders continuously, stubborn in their presupposition, refusing to believe all that Jesus Christ had said and done, continuously trying to discredit Him before the people, time and time again trying to undermine His authority and deny the evidence work of the Holy Spirit working through Jesus, confirming His identity by Allowing Jesus to fulfill every one of the prophecies of Isaiah. And as a result, their continuous denial of the realization of who Jesus actually is has now resulted in a very, very serious potential. And that is the potential to commit this one sin, an eternal sin, as some have called it, the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, as some have named it, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. For in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says very clearly that the the sins of man can be forgiven, even if they speak against me. But if they speak in blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for them. So what is he actually saying here? What is he indicating, and is this sin possible to commit today? 
I believe that the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can be committed today, but not in the same regards in which it was committed at that time where they visually saw the evidence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working through Him, through the healings and through the casting out of demons, etc. But the same sin can be committed today in a different context. I believe that if I were to have to sum up what is this sin? What is the sin that cannot be forgiven a person? I would have to summarize it as such. The sin that is unpardonable, the sin that is unforgivable, is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. Rejecting all the evidence that God has given us concerning the true identity of who Jesus Christ is. And in so rejecting Jesus Christ, therefore dying in our sins apart from Jesus Christ, there is no a possibility of forgiveness at that point. As Jesus clearly showed us and demonstrated for us, today is the day of salvation. But we also know that the Bible teaches us clearly that every knee and every tongue shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But at that time, it's too late. Their opportunity to make that decision is too late. Now, of course, some traditions want to curtail this by saying, well, there's a holding center that people go to called purgatory and then there's the possibility of being prayed out of purgatory into heaven purgatory is not a biblical concept let's be honest jesus never talked about a purgatory Um, we never find the apostle paul talking about a purgatory in fact we find just the opposite it's appointed onto a man to die once and then to judgment so i believe that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that was committed in the fashion that it was during the time of Jesus Christ can still be committed today in the ultimate rejection of the person of Jesus Christ. Just as the Holy Spirit was demonstrating clearly the authenticity of who Jesus was at that time, the Spirit of God is still at work in the world today. Jesus told us very clearly that the Spirit of God is in this world working today, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But that can be resisted. That can be refused. And each and every time a person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ with the weight of the Spirit of God convicting their hearts, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, each and every time that they reject that and refuse to believe it is another occasion of a callousness being placed upon that person's heart, hardening their heart against God. Some of the most difficult people to bring the gospel to are those who are religious. A religious person is one who believes that there is a God, but struggles with the manner and how to get to that God. Christianity, I believe, articulates that 
It isn't us who have to reach God and earn God's favor and earn God's uh, grace and earn God's merit. I believe that God looked at us and reached down to us to save us through the person of Jesus Christ. I do not believe that God desires to interact with each and every one of us on the basis of a religious system, but desires a personal and intimate relationship with each and every one of you through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's vastly different. Those are two different constructs completely. Believing that you have to earn your way is one thing. But believing that God reached down in His grace and in His mercy and in His love and sent His only begotten Son that whomsoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's completely different. And then Jesus saying that all who come to Me, I will by no means lose any of them. I will by no means reject them. I will by no means cast them off. But as the Holy Spirit is working in the world today, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, and we'll look at that in just a moment, I believe an individual can resist that. I believe an individual can resist an apologetic manner in which we present the gospel and, you know, Uh, refute their objections and overcome their objections and prove to them before a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is real and existed and is exactly who he said he was and them still resist that. Now, please don't get me wrong. I do believe that salvation is a work of God. I do not believe that man can save himself or woman can save themselves. God saves them. But it begins with the reception of what God has given them through the person of Jesus Christ. God is handing us a gift of eternal life. We simply need to receive it. And that's not a work. That's simply acknowledging who He is and receiving the gifts on the basis in which He is giving them to us and appropriating them for ourselves. That's not a work. That's simply putting our faith and trust in who Jesus Christ is. But each and every single time that we resist that message and we resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts, it's in those occurrences that a person's heart begins to get hard. And next time it's even more difficult. And next time it's even more difficult to get through to that hardened heart. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is the rejection of the person of Jesus Christ. I believe it is a denial of all in whom He is. I believe that it is a rejection of the evidence put forward by the works in which He has done to testify of who He was and is today. And therefore, if we deny Jesus Christ, we deny the one way that God the Father has made for us to enter into His presence. For Jesus said in Himself, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. It is a narrow way. And it sounds incredibly narrow-minded in the pluralistic system in which we live in our society. But then again, I can make the argument that no one ever in history did what Jesus Christ has done. Lived a sinless life. Died a 
perfect death on the cross and arose on the third day, allowing each and every one of us to know that God the Father has substantiated in and through His personal life exactly who He is. But Jesus told the disciples that after He ascended into heaven, He would send to this world the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who comes alongside, the Greek word is parakletes, one who comes alongside and coming alongside an individual, he convicts that individual. And if you turn in your Bibles with me to John 16, if you will, I'd like to show you that the Spirit of God is working in this world, convicting this world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But this can be resisted and rejected. But let's look at what Jesus said to begin with. In John 16, verse 4, Jesus says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, that's interesting, that I go away. For I do not go away, for if I do not go away, excuse me, the helper, there's that word paracletus comforter, will not come. He's referring to the Spirit, to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he'll do. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all of the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And whatever He declares, uh, I'm sorry, and and He will declare to you, excuse me, the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is of Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus wanted the the disciples to know that they weren't going to be alone in their endeavors. As they took the gospel, the good news, into all of the world, Jesus wanted them to know that it was to their advantage that he ascend into heaven and to send them the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit was going to be working alongside of them in the ministry in which they were to continue here on this earth. And part of that work was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. When we use that word convict, let us imagine for a moment that we are in a courtroom. And we are sitting as the defendant in that courtroom. And of course we have our defense attorney. In our courts of law, in our judicial system, the prosecutor must make it well known the accusations 
that are against us and therefore convict us through the, through the leveling of proof that we are guilty of what he is accusing us of. An accusation does not automatically equate guilt. Do we realize that in this country? Sometimes I wonder, right? Sometimes I wonder if we still remember that a person is innocent until found guilty. Unless you're a Supreme Court nomination and judge nomination, then it's up in the air, right? Craziness in our system today. So the prosecutor has a very difficult task ahead of him or her. They have to leverage the proof in the eyes and the minds of the jury to allow that jury to convict that individual, the defendant, us, of that crime. And of course, in our judicial system, they have to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. So the Holy Spirit has come as the great prosecutor, bringing to the attention of the world their guilt before God. Now, in the Old Testament, and during the time of uh, when the New Testament was being compiled, Paul made the absolute uh, beautiful parallel that that's exactly what the Old Testament law did, right? And still does today. The Old Testament law shows us our guilt and need of a Savior. It shows us that it's impossible to be perfect through the keeping of the law, and therefore throwing us into the hands of a merciful God in complete and utter helplessness, looking and seeking a Savior. The Holy Spirit is now doing the exact same in the world. As you and I bring forth the gospel to someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, know that you have an advocate with you, the Holy Spirit that is working alongside of you to uh, substantiate what you are saying to that person. By working on their hearts and on their minds, convicting them, proving to they themselves that they are guilty before a holy God and in desperate need of a Savior. And part of that conviction, of course, is the conviction of sin. Now, today in our culture, we have a very lackadaisical understanding of sin, don't we? In fact, we've almost tried to sterilize our culture to the point where nothing is sin anymore, right? That nothing is wrong. Anybody can do whatever they feel like it's doing, and then they, they would throw the caveat out there, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, you know. But the part of the reason that we have done this is the elimination of guilt. Because guilt often works hand in hand with conviction to bring that person away from those actions. I don't know if I ever experienced a stronger sense of guilt in my conscience than I did when I was a little boy. You know, I would run around with a crowd that continuously got me in trouble time and time again. But I always felt it so guilty afterwards. You know, it would keep me up at night. I would be rolling around in my bed thinking, oh my goodness, that's it, I'm done for. You know, my parents adopted me and, uh, you know, they're, they're going to send me back, you know, and uh, they just had enough of it. And I'll never forget, and I've said this story over to you, but that time that I stole the baseball cards. Yes, 
I stole baseball cards at one time. I just throw myself at the mercy of the congregation. And those baseball cards were like kryptonite in my pocket. I, I, I was in the back seat of the car and I was shaking and cr- you know, trying to hold back the tears because I knew, you know, I thought I was going to jail, you know. You know, and had all those pictures of, you know, breaking rocks and having the chains on the feet and so forth, you know. I wouldn't even open up the cards because I felt that if I started chewing on the bubble gum, that would be like a longer sentence in jail, you know. Yeah, not only did he steal the cards, Judge, but he chewed the bubble gum. That's it, life, you know. So I had to tell my dad. I couldn't help but tell my dad because I felt so guilty about it. But as we get older, we have a tendency to justify things, don't we? Well, it's only a little white lie, you know. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Even though nobody would look good in those pants, I still can't go there and so forth. And, you know, we need to be very careful that we don't justify wrongful actions and and to look at them in a way that God doesn't look at them because, again, we are hardening our heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But an individual can resist. An individual needs to be reminded that they are sinful before a holy God. We all are. No one's perfect. No one is above the need of a Savior. In fact, when it comes to a a discussion like this, I'm simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find some food. I don't believe I'm any better than anybody else. But the realization of a person's sin will be the very first issue that they need to deal with in coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit is working on their heart and mind, showing them that they are an individual that sin has capitalized upon. And a result of that sin is death. But we also need to be reminded not only of our sin, but the righteous standard of God. So the second aspect of the conviction is righteousness. That God demands perfection to enter into heaven. He demands people to be perfect before they can enter into heaven. That would exclude each and every one of us if it wasn't for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Knowing that God the Father looks through Christ and sees me positionally perfect, even though practically I'm a long way from it. Allowing the complete and satisfactory atonement of God upon my life knowing that in and of myself nothing good dwells but in Christ positionally before the Father I am perfect I don't understand that I don't I don't fully comprehend that but it is an incredible gift that Christ has given me and not only have we been forgiven of sin but we've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ to allow us to stand perfect before the Lord. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit convicts us of judgment, showing and demonstrating that each and every person who lives on this earth will be held accountable for everything they do, say, and think. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, we are given a glimpse of the moment that an individual stands before God who has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is called the great white throne judgment. The Spirit of God is convicting the world that a day of accountability, a day of reckoning is in the future of each and every individual of this world. But here are the details of that event. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, John writes to us, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from those whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let us understand that these individuals who have died and have rejected Jesus Christ in the time in which they had lived will stand before God at this moment. And God appears to open up books. And scholars believe, and I agree with them, that within these books is every word, deed, and thought that they have ever uh, committed. And they are judged accordingly. And of course, within all three of those, imperfection is found in, to be replete in every condition and case. And so as a result, they are now found, in and of themselves, guilty before a holy God, standing in and of themselves, before a holy God, without an advocate, or as John calls it, a propitiation for our sins. And then they are found not written in the book of life, meaning that they never have had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And they are cast away. Because as Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And this is a... This is a sobering moment. All the wickedness, all the corruption, all the injustice that we find in this world that seems to go unpunished, unchecked, is going to be held accountable at one time before all. The Bible tells us that the judge upon this throne that will judge them is Jesus Christ himself. For he himself was the propitiation that they could have received and been spared this fate, but they chose not to receive him. Now let us understand for a moment that you and I, if those same books were open, would also be found guilty. Do we understand that? If I were to be uh, judged upon my thoughts, upon my deeds, upon my actions, 
Stealing the baseball cards would be enough, wouldn't it? But see, something happens. And in 1 John, John wanted us to know what happens. As you and I are found guilty as charged before a holy God for our deeds, our words, and our actions, something occurs. Because our defense attorney stands up. And he then walks in front of the judge, God the Father. And he says, Dad, they're one of mine. And the judge sees us through Jesus. Clean. Forgiven. Restored. And he hits the gavel and says, all is forgiven. Now, we would not have that apart from Jesus Christ. That's what propitiation means. One who does not have Jesus Christ, they stand guilty alone, representing themselves before a holy God. But you and I, who are found in that same court in Christ, our attorney is Jesus. And though Satan may level us and everything he say be true, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross has satisfied the just requirements of God the Father and we can be forgiven. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit that one is capable of rejecting. And in their rejection of the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, they continue to harden their heart against God. Becoming desensitized. That's what I'm getting at when I talk about hardening a person's heart. They are becoming more and more desensitized to the good news. They they harden their heart to the realization that they're sinful in need of a Savior before a holy God. And if they don't believe they're sinful, then they don't really look to seek a Savior, do they? If they don't believe that God's standard is righteousness and believe God grades on a curve, you know. And as long as they're better than, and I love the people that they pick, Adolf Hitler. As long as I'm better than Adolf Hitler or John Wayne Gacy or whatever other, you know, tyrant or felon or mass murderer is out there. They feel pretty good. But that's not the standard. The standard is not Hitler. The standard is Jesus, and Jesus was perfect. It is Him that they are going to be compared to. No one else. And if they don't believe that judgment is in the future, then they believe that they can get away literally with murder, don't they? You know, have we not learned here in America, folks, that if we do not discipline our children properly, they will learn to get away with murder, right? Have we not learned that yet? My dad had no problem with discipline, none at all. But I'm very thankful for his consistency and his discipline. I truly believe it helped me become the man today that I needed to become for my family. Oh, he was always loving and he was always, you know... uh, He was always um, fatherly in his discipline toward me, but the discipline was so important. And I knew there was consequences to my action. 
But if one doesn't believe that judgment is out there, then one is going to continue in the manner in which he or she lives, thinking they're above impunity. In the Old Testament, there was an individual named Pharaoh. Of course, that wasn't his name, that was his title. And he held the Jewish people captive in Egypt as slaves. And of course, you're familiar with the story. And, you know, Moses was sent by God. Charlton Heston was sent by God on behalf of God's people to have his people released. And Moses continued to come and to ask Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh continuously rejected that command by God. And the Bible tells us that he continuously hardened his heart against God. Each and every time that God came to him, he refused God and hardened his heart against God. To the point where God and only God could see that Pharaoh had hardened his heart to the point that he would never come and be obedient to what God has asked. So then God began to harden Pharaoh's heart. And it's a different word in the Hebrew. It was the first Hebrew word is Pharaoh hardening his own heart. The second Hebrew word that is used there in that uh, text is God solidifying what Pharaoh had already begun. And since Pharaoh rejected and rejected, God finally said, fine, I will allow you to continue to harden your heart. I will solidify your decision." Now, only God can make that determination when someone is too far gone or will never make that decision to be obedient and to follow Him. I cannot make that decision. You cannot make that decision. Only God can. But when we begin to harden our heart against God, we, we begin to uh, slide down a very slippery slope. And I believe that this is what the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is. And though we don't see the works of Jesus Christ today like they did, we have the Spirit of God working in the world today, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And if we blaspheme that, if we deny that, if we reject that, then what position do we place ourselves in? The exact same position the religious leaders did back at the time of Jesus. Rejecting the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only sin that cannot be forgiven. As one wrote, and I'd like to read this to you, they write, in the light of the context of what we have just read, this refers to an attitude, not simply an isolated act or utterance of defiance and hostility towards God that rejects His saving power towards man expressed in the Spirit-empowered person and work of Jesus Christ. It is one preference for darkness. Even though he has been exposed to the light, he chooses to remain in the darkness. Such a persistent attitude of willful unbelief can harden into a condition in which repentance and forgiveness, both mediated by God's Spirit, become impossible. The person is guilty of an eternal sin before God. 
And ultimately, that sin remains unforgivable before God the Father. 